I say thank you for all the men and women who have served our nation. It allows us to live where we live and to do what we do, have the freedoms that we have. Sometimes we take it for granted uh, that they're free, but our freedom is not free, all right? It takes a lot of people fighting for that. So I just want to say a thank you to that. In fact, those who have allowed me to live in this nation has allowed me to be in the place where I'm at right now. I'm getting old enough in life to where I can look ahead a few years, and here's what I know. I know that retirement, as we like to call it, is coming someday in the future. Now, it's still far enough away that I have some opportunity to prepare, but for many people, when you're considering retirement, they realize that they've not necessarily made the best investment or maybe have not prepared at all. I hope you're not in that category. For many people, though, they look and say, if I'd have just known what I know now, I would have done things differently. Even many who've made good investments wish at times they had made different investments. All of us, if we could look now and know the future, we would, again, done things and made different choices. Think about this. If we could know now, all right, back then, what we know about Amazon, when it was offered publicly in 1997, many of us would have bought stock. All right, why is that? Because when it was offered first, it was traded for $18 a share. And so if you'd have bought 100 shares at that time, it cost you about $1,800. Today, you'd be able to sell those 100 stocks and have over $14,000 because when I checked this week, their stock was now $142 a share. Now, think about this. Just go back a few years, about 10 years. In 2010, Tesla was offered for the first time. It was offered at $17 a share, less than Amazon, all right? $17 a share, that means you could have invested, bought 100 shares for $1,700, and you could have sold them this past week for $222 a share. That means for $22,000. How many of y'all would have bought stock? Yeah, right? Not only would you have bought the $100 that I've shared, if you'd had that foresight, you'd have spent a whole lot more money back then to buy those, all right? Now, those, those are simple examples that I give you. I could give you more. In reality, if we could look down the road and see how our investments would pan out, we would have made some different choices, right? Now, today, we're going to look at a man who had a choice. We might say he had an opportunity to choose what he was going to invest in. Unfortunately, we will see that the choice he makes was made with poor insight into the future. Take your Bibles out if you haven't with me already and turn to Mark chapter 10. For some, this will be a a portion of scripture that you're familiar with or at least aware of. We're going to read about a man who has an encounter with Jesus. His story is recorded not only in Mark, but it's also in Matthew and Luke, so you may have read it there. And what I want us to do is read the portion of scripture we're going to deal with today, and then we're going to come back. And we're going to analyze it and see what God would have us to learn. What is the invitation he's giving us today? And so let's start reading Mark 10, verse 17. And as he, that being Jesus, was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And Jesus looked at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. 
And the disciples were amazed at his word, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. And Peter began to say to him, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, there is not one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and then the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. As we begin in this text, it begins with Jesus setting out on a journey. It is a journey that will have him soon in Jerusalem, where he will ultimately be arrested, condemned, and crucified for the sins of mankind. Now, what we read here in Mark is that as Jesus was beginning this journey, a man ran up to Jesus and knelt before him. And as we start to take a look at what happened here, here's what we know about this man. Here's what I want you to see. That in many ways, as we look at this man, this is a man who has everything in his favor. First, he is a humble man. It says he came and knelt before Jesus, and so he took a humble posture. He is young, and you know we all uh, like being young, right? There's a few of us wish we could go back and be a little younger again. On top of that, Luke tells us that he was a ruler of some sort. Some believe he was a rig- religious ruler. Others think maybe he held a position in a local court. Whichever the case, this was a man who was well-respected and had influence in the community. We also learn that this man is wealthy. Now, when we hear wealthy, we might have sometimes a tendency to think negatively. We sometimes look at those who are wealthy as bad people or potentially corrupt people who've gotten their wealth in unscrupulous ways. However, in Jesus' days, those who were wealthy were seen in a very positive light. If you go back and read the book of Proverbs, you'll see how the wealthy are seen as people who are wise, who've worked hard, who follow God, and who've been blessed by God. And so when he was described as wealthy, the original readers of the text would have thought well of this young man. He was also polite. He comes to Jesus and calls him good teacher. This is obviously showing great respect for Jesus because in Jesus' day, he did not go up to a rabbi and call that rabbi good, all right? They were referred to as teacher, but not as good teacher. Therefore, when he calls Jesus good, he's most likely being even more than polite to Jesus. Here's a point I wanna make up front. We should view this young man as the kind of person that everyone would strive to be. We may not want to admit it, but this is the kind of person most people, both men and women, strive to be like. He is young, wealthy, influential, and nice. I mean, if we were like him, we would think this. We would think we've arrived. We have everything we need. This is who I am. I've reached to the pinnacle. Now, with that in mind, let's consider something. The man who had it all comes to Jesus with a question. Look at that question at the end of verse 17 again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this is an interesting question for someone who has it all. It is interesting because here's what it shows. We can gain all that the world says is success and reaching the top, but in the end, we can find ourselves empty. I think about the words that Jesus shared in Mark 18, 36, where he said, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? 
Here's what often happens to people. They pursue what the world says is fulfilling only to find this, that it's not fulfilling at all. Maybe some of you have heard the expression, I spent my whole life climbing to the top of the ladder only to realize the ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. Have y'all heard that? Okay, I'm, I'm gonna put it to you a different way since I started my sermon this way this morning. Maybe you have been highly investing in things only to find out you've made the wrong investments. You see, they realize they invested in things that didn't pan out. People invest in things that didn't really satisfy. Ultimately, many people fail to invest in the eternal, which in the end is really the most important thing. You see, this man had it all, but he realized that nothing in the end that he had, none of that gave to him eternal life. He knew ultimately everything he had led to a dead end. And so his question first reveals this, is that we often pursue many things only to end up in empty. Maybe that's a sobering reality, but that's how we often are in light. That's what this man's question shows us. For if you look at this man's question, it even shows us another wrong focus that we often have. Because look at it again. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What else does this man's question show us? Not that we often pursue things to get to the end and find it empty, but also this, we typically believe that eternal life is earned by something we do. You see, most people, including those who claim a faith in Jesus, carry with them this idea that they will be acceptable to God if they do the right things. They believe it is up to them to earn God's love and to earn eternal life. In fact, many people would praise this man for asking the question and seeking what he needs to do. However, what we're going to discover is that it's not what we do that earns us eternal life. Somebody want to push back on me saying that because you'll want to look at Jesus's words and say, well, Jesus gives this man at first a list of things that he has to do and things that he's done. Look at what he said to this man in Mark 19. He says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Someone will read this and say, well, there it is. Jesus gives us a list of commands or things that we have to do in order to earn eternal life. And so what we do is important. Some might even say, it's not that hard even for me to keep the commandments that Jesus listed here. However, we have to be careful. If you read all the gospels, all right, if you take up this Bible and don't just read one passage, but you read it all, read everything that Jesus taught, here's what you're gonna realize. Even these few commands that Jesus mentioned here, all right, are not that easy to keep. If you say, well, I've never murdered anyone and, and I never plan to, it's easy to do. I'm not gonna murder anybody. Remember Jesus taught in Matthew 5 that it's not just murder that makes you liable to judgment, but that if you're angry all right, with someone, you're liable to judgment. In other words, in Jesus's eyes, being angry and murder are the same thing. If that's the case, doing what he said is not quite so easy. Or maybe you remember here and you say, well, I, you know, I, I've never committed adultery and I don't plan to do that either. Well, let's consider also what Jesus said in Matthew 5. If a man looks at a woman lustfully, then he's committed adultery with her in his heart. I, I could go on, but hopefully you get the point. We cannot even keep the list, these few commands that Jesus gave. And trust me when I say this, Jesus knew that the young man and all of us for that matter was unable to keep the commandments and to do enough to earn eternal life. He didn't need to list anymore because he knew just these few would really do all, all that he needed to do. In fact, I have no doubt that Jesus knew the words that Paul shared in Romans 3.20. It says there, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes what? Knowledge of 
You see, the laws that Jesus mentioned cannot save a person or give them eternal life. What the laws do is make us aware of the sin that is present in our life. They make us aware that we need help. I go back to the man here in Mark 10. His response to Jesus was this, as I've kept all these since I was young. I mean, if that was the case and obeying the law could save you, why did this man come looking for answers? Truthfully, I believe he knew in his heart that following the law would not save him, that he knew just doing good things was not enough to be right with God. And Jesus knew this. You might ask them, well, why did Jesus say these things? Why did he give them this list of commands? Because Jesus was trying to get to something deeper. Jesus was trying to get this man to recognize his true need and trying to get him to recognize that even though he seemed to have it all together, that there was something missing. I don't know if you're aware of this. Maybe if you read your gospels, you can understand Jesus asked questions all the time, all right? He did it. He was a master at asking questions to help people see their need in a loving way. He would not, not, not always go about it directly. He'd kind of come out the back door in a sense, right? Maybe you'll remember there's a time when Jesus met this woman at the well, right? And she needed spiritual water to drink. She was spiritually thirsty, the problem was she didn't know her own spiritual thirst. She was just coming to get physical water and Jesus wanted her to see her deeper need, that there was a deeper need for spiritual water, not just physical water. And so Jesus told this woman to do something. He said, will you do me a favor? I want you to go, go get your husband and bring him back so I can talk to him. Y'all remember that? And the woman looked back at Jesus and said, well, um, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right, you, you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands and the man you're with right now, he's not your husband. You see, he was very, in a subtle way, bringing her to light to say, there's a deep need in my life. And Jesus wanted her to see it, all right? The same thing he's doing with this man. See, that woman at the well, if you know the story, in the end, she ends up running back to town and saying, hey, I met a man who knew everything about my life. Could this be the Savior, all right? She wasn't even down to because she recognized Jesus was trying to give her her deepest need, all right? The same thing he was doing with this man. You see, Jesus took this subtle approach with a woman at the well. He's doing it with this man, helping them to see that deepest need. And the point that we need to see here is this, you ready? That Jesus loves us enough to help us consider our deepest need. Let's not forget that Jesus was God in flesh, and so he knew every detail of our lives. We are reminded of who Jesus is when this man comes to Jesus and calls him good teacher. Remember, Jesus responded back to him in verse 18, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. All right, understand something. This wasn't Jesus denying that he was God in flesh. It was more likely Jesus trying to help this man to understand fully who he's talking to. Jesus really wanted this man to know that he was talking to God. Jesus often used different, these different questioning techniques to help people think and discover deep truths. And the question that he asked was really to get this man to recognize who he was. As God in the flesh, Jesus knew this man's deepest need and wanted him to realize his need. Jesus truly loved this man, and I don't have to guess whether that is true or not, because verse 21 says, and Jesus looking at him, loved him. That statement was made right after the man said, I'd kept all the commandments since youth. In other words, right after the man boldly and probably proudly said, I've kept all these commands, we read that Jesus loved him. Why does that statement come right there? It is because when the man said that he'd kept all the commands, Jesus knew in that moment that the man did not even recognize his sin and his need. 
In this moment, Jesus, I believe, had compassion on this young man and wanted to help him. We are told that Jesus loved him and we need to understand why and what Jesus says next because for many of us, it will catch us off guard. Let's read on verse 21. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing, go sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven and come follow me. See, after reading that, some of you may just want to stop and say, well, well, that's too hard of an ask from Jesus. I mean, sell all that I have and give to the poor, that is just too much. Now, before you get carried away, we need to dig a little deeper. Let's recognize that what Jesus is saying here is not a blanket statement to everyone. He is speaking specifically to this rich young man and his need. He's asking this man to make a choice. He's saying, you choose your stuff, which is controlling your life, or choose me. You see, what I haven't made clear yet, but I'm gonna make it right now is this. Jesus' invitation is come, follow me. It relates somewhat to last week's invitation. Last week's invitation was come, find rest, but that rest was found by coming to Jesus. In this case, Jesus' invitation is follow me and the result will be that you will find eternal life. You might ask, well, what does that have to do with Jesus telling this man to go sell all that he has and give to the poor? It has everything to do with what was ruling this man's life. You see, the decision that this man faced was, who or what is going to be the Lord of his life? It's really the question you and I face as well. See, the reason Jesus placed this expectation on the man of selling everything and giving it away was because Jesus knew that at the moment, this man was controlled by his wealth. He knew that this man was really bowing to the idol of money. God has nothing against wealth per se. However, he does have an issue when one's wealth being their God. And if you wonder how I know this, man letting his stuff, this man is letting his stuff be his God. Look at his response to Jesus's invitation. In verse 22, it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. You see, this verse lets us know that the man had made his possessions his greatest priority to the point that he walked away from following Jesus because he loved his possessions more. In fact, this man may be the only person who I read about in the scriptures who came to Jesus with a need who went away worse because he refused to follow Jesus and instead stay in his need. Let's make sure, all right, that we understand the thing that has priority in our lives may not be money, but we all have something that can be our God rather than God. True? Yes, for some, it might be prestige as you're looking to be recognized. And if Jesus had said to you, become unknown and unremarkable and follow me, you may have went away sad because of your status. All right? Am I true? Am, am, am right? For some, it's your ability to choose relationships. You want to be free to date whoever you want and marry whoever you want. And you don't want anyone telling you who to be in a relationship with. And so if Jesus said there's a right way to date and a wrong way to date and a right person to date and a wrong person to date, you'd go away sad because you'd say, I want to be in control of my relationships. It could be a habit God asked you to let go of, but you don't want to, so you go away sad. Or it could be a future career that you don't want to surrender to God or just the control of your life in general. Any of those things can cause us you know, to go away sad from following Jesus. People go away sad from Jesus for many reasons because they don't want to give up the lordship of their life to the one who deserves to be Lord. You have to make a choice. Who's going to be your Lord? Who's going to be in control? 
Jesus goes on to make an interesting statement about how difficult it is for rich to get into heaven, which I think does remind us this, that money is one of the things that all of us probably deal with about being the Lord of our life, does it not? <laughs> Amen. We don't want to shake it, but it is, right? Money seemingly offers so much to us and can easily become a God to us. In fact, Tim Keller identified how money can be a spiritual liability in at least four ways. One, he said this, the more money you have, the greater temptation to cheat. In other words, when you have the ability to cheat and make thousands or millions, a person is more apt to cheat than if they can just gain a little, right? Money can, number two, turn into an addiction. What it means by that is that more money you get, the more money you want. You think if I get just a little bit more, it'll satisfy you. Typically only to satisfy when you get a little bit more, you just want a little more. There's always a little more. Getting money becomes addictive. Number three, money can lull you into a false security. When you have money, there can be a sense that you have everything, you control your own destiny, and nothing can touch you. This can often lead to poor decisions and can also cause much heartache when you realize that money doesn't make you immune to many of the difficulties that life can throw at you. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you this if you don't even know it. Having a bunch of money will not keep you from getting cancer. Number four, money can make you proud. Quite frankly, when a person gets a large amount of money, it can make them feel superior as if they're smarter than others or their skills were better than others or they were more deserving than others. It can lead to a general sense of looking down on others and if not careful, it can make one feel that they do not even need God in their life because they've got everything they need to be self-sufficient, right? In one sense, we all need this warning about money because of the reasons identified by Keller, especially in America where compared to the majority of the world, we are rich. Every one of us this morning are rich in the rich category today compared to the majority of the world. However, when we dive into this warning, here's what money reveals is our real problem. You ready? We look for immediate gratification. Okay. Now, we know this statement is true, right? Now, here's how I know. Here's how I know. All right, when the package says the chicken strips are best prepared in the oven, all right, that's how they're going to taste the best, they're going to be the best, we choose the microwave directions, right? Because we don't want to wait for the oven. <laughs> right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Brandon knows. Amen, right? You and me, Brandon, we just stick them in the microwave, right? We use credit constantly in our lives. Constantly. Because we don't want to wait until we have enough money to pay cash. People what they want and where they want it now, right? I know I don't have to convince you of this. We all battle with instant gratification. And honestly, some of the places it leads to us is much worse than less tasting chicken strips or a large history of debt. Sometimes our pursuit of instant gratification destroys our marriages, destroys reputations, destroys careers, and much more. And even though we know this reality, we are prone to seeking immediate gratification. This rich man's ultimate problem was he had money that provided for him immediately, and he was unwilling to lay it aside to get what Jesus offered. And what was it that Jesus was offering? Well, let's look and see, for in Jesus' response to his disciples, we're going to get some idea. You see, if we can keep in mind what I said earlier, that, that in Jesus' day, a person being rich would have been seen as being blessed from God and having God's favor. We shouldn't be surprised when the disciples were exceedingly astonished at what Jesus said, all right? When he says, what? He can't make it into heaven? It, it also makes sense that they would ask then, well, well then who can, can be saved? I mean, if this man can't be saved, well, who can be saved, all right? If, 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 who, who, all right? He's not going to make it into heaven, and certainly no one will, 
I love Jesus' response when he said this in verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. I hope you understand what Jesus is saying here. He's making it clear that salvation is something that God provides, not something you make happen. Go back to the rich man's original question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? The straight answer to that question is really, you cannot earn eternal life. Only God can give it. Eternal life comes through what God has done through Jesus Christ. It is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that makes eternal life possible, and a person can only receive it through faith in him. What we have to clearly grasp, and we all have had a hard time accepting, is that eternal life is a work of God, not a work of mankind. It is not a work of self. Now, here's the good news about that truth, though. Since God is the one who makes eternal life possible, there is not a single person out of the reach of God. All, right. all things are possible with him. Therefore, eternal life is possible for all who will place their faith in him. Even the person, hear me, even the person that might be seen as the most wretched person alive is within God's reach. The person who seems to be constantly blowing it over and over again is in God's reach. The person who seems to be self-sufficient is within God's reach. The person who currently seems to be fighting against God, all right, I'm here to tell you, is within the reach of God, all right? Because nothing is impossible with God. Praise the Lord, right? That should give you hope for some of your family, some of your friends, some of those people that you know right now that are far from God. I got news for you. They're not out of God's reach today, right? Now, what is interesting is after Jesus makes a statement, Peter chimes in. Peter says, well, see, we've left everything and followed you. <laughs> okay, Peter, we got the picture right. Peter stated that he and the other disciples had left everything to follow Jesus, which is true, but let me say this. We have to be a little careful here because sometimes even our sacrifice can be self-serving. One thing we know is that at least originally, the disciples didn't fully understand what it meant that Jesus was the promised Messiah. Many Jews had this misconception that the Savior, when he would come, that he would be an earthly ruler, an earthly king, not a suffering servant as Jesus was. And if you think, hear me, if you think all right, you're getting, the guy you're getting ready to follow is going to be king, it's not so bad to give up everything you own, right? Because you know you're going to get everything that comes with serving the king, right? This must have been at least where the disciples started. Christian industrialist R.J. Letourneau used to say, if you give because it pays, it won't pay. If we sacrifice only to get a reward, that reward will never come. Sometimes our sacrifice can be self-serving, but Jesus' words in response to Peter should help us. Look at what he said. He said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. And I wanna give you some key words. If you like to underline in your Bible, I would even underline these words where Jesus said, he said, if you, he said, this is for my sake and the gospel. Right? When one sacrifices for the sake of Jesus and his gospel, there is truly a great reward awaiting. Here is the issue. Sometimes that reward is not immediate for ultimately the reward that is received by those who follow Jesus Christ does not come fully in this age, but yet in the age to come. 
The full reward of following Jesus is not experienced until one experiences the fullness of eternal life. The problem with this, as I stated earlier, we want immediate gratification, right? Some of you might say, but Jesus said we would experience a hundredfold now in this time and in the age to come, which is true. But we must understand the hundredfold that we will experience might look quite different than the way the world views it, right? We know that in part because Jesus even said part of what we will experience a hundredfold, I try to emphasize it both times I read it is also with persecutions. Y'all didn't skip over that part, did you? A hundredfold persecutions coming your way to follow Jesus. I got y'all convinced this morning, right? It doesn't sound like much fun, but the truth we need to see is this, is that if you follow Jesus, any sacrifice made now is more than rewarded in eternal life. The decision we face is, will we make Jesus the priority in our life? Will we choose to follow him fully and experience eternal life? You see, when Jesus says those who have left houses or family or lands for his sake will receive a hundredfold, he is not advocating for people to abandon their families. He is advocating to be the first priority in your life. Jesus should be more important than our houses. Jesus should be more important than our families. Jesus should be more important than our lands. And Jesus should be more important than anything in our life. And what is the reward? I'm here to tell you. When Jesus is first priority, everything else finds its perfect place and the benefits of following Jesus are amazing. In a sense, the return is a hundredfold. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you. For me, personally following Jesus hasn't meant I got a bigger home. But it has meant this, that home is a better place because Jesus is Lord. It has meant that life is always easy, but it has meant that life is more fulfilling. It hasn't meant that things have always went my way, but it has meant that I can be at peace because no matter what this world holds, I know that eternal life is waiting for me. See, my personal experience is that following Jesus has been rewarding in this life in ways you cannot explain or even calculate. I can't put it on a spreadsheet. I can't put it in a folder or anything like that. But I know this, what Jesus has meant for me is, is, it was, is the same thing he's offering to you. If you choose to follow him, life is better when Jesus is number one. Remember what we sang a while ago, all that I have means nothing. If Jesus is not your one thing, I'm here to tell you that is true. But when Jesus is your one thing, everything else is better. In the end, the question we have to answer is, will we accept the invitation of Jesus to come and follow me? And if you accept and understand this, accepting the invitation will mean we have to say no to some things or to give up some things, but we will be saying yes to the thing that really matters and the thing that will bring the greatest benefit to our lives, even if the reward is delayed. In fact, here's what I'm going to I'm going to close with an object lesson. Is that all right with y'all? Addison Bewley, will you come here? Did your mama prepare you? You was ready. You were, I was going to surprise her, all right? Come on up here, Addison is my uh, volunteer. Well, not a volunteer. I chose her this morning, all right? So, Addison, right here. You stand right here. Now, Addison, first of all, I'm not gonna do a magic trick, okay? Is that okay? What I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna offer you a choice. And so I need you to think very carefully about what you're gonna choose because it's gonna be a hard choice. All right, are you ready? You ready? Now, I'm gonna give you a choice this morning. It is almost Thanksgiving and close to Christmas, and so it is a season for Little Debbie's Christmas tree cakes. Is it not? I bought three boxes at the grocery the other day. Three, all right? I know they don't last forever. You got to get them while it's good, all right? So Christmas tree cakes 
or I'm going to offer you this snack tray. I mean, it's got some raw broccoli, raw carrots, and raw sugar snap peas. <laughs> Which would you like? Christmas tree cake. Wait, wait, wait. If you, if, you, if you take this Christmas tree cake and eat it, Asin, I mean, in the future, you could get diabetes, right? You, you, you could gain a little more weight than you want. There's a lot of bad things. Are you sure you want this? But wait a minute, I, I even looked this morning. If you eat this broccoli, it's good for your skin. I mean, it's a, it's a cleanser. I mean, there's a lot of great things it does. You'll be healthier if you eat the broccoli, the carrots, and the sugar snap peas. <laughs> you want the Christmas tree. Are you sure you want the Christmas tree? Absolutely sure. Okay, you can have the Christmas tree. Just take it. All right, go. All right. I figured that decision she'd make, right? Let me go ahead and say this. That's not a perfect illustration, okay? It's not perfect because here's what I know. What Jesus is offering to us is even much better than this snack tray, all right? I'd invite some of y'all because some of y'all would have chose this, all right? All right. But here's what I want you to know. Every one of us is left with a decision. Will you follow Jesus? Now, here's what some of you do. You'll not see, you'll not see the long-term benefits of following Jesus because the immediate gratification of other things will be more appealing to you. Whether that thing is your money, whether it's your prestige, whether it's just power, or are you feeling, you know, like you want to call the shots of your own life, You'll look at the immediate gratification and you'll choose something over Jesus. You will fail to follow Jesus even though in the long run and really even in the present, he offers the greatest, hear me, return on investment. As I cannot go back to 2010 and now buy Tesla so I can receive the benefits now, there will be a time when your opportunity to follow Jesus will be over and it will be too late to experience the eternal life that he offers and all the benefits that come with it. Here's my hope and prayer today is that you will choose to follow Jesus. I'll guarantee you, if you give up some immediate gratification and follow Jesus instead, it will well be worth it. Here's what God's word tells us. If you wanna make that choice, it's simply like this, that you come and you say, Lord, I know that I have sinned and I know there's nothing that I can do to earn your favor. In fact, every day, God, I probably do something where you ought to look at me and say, don't choose that one. God, I confess that to you, but Lord, I also want your forgiveness. And God, this is what I know. Your word tells me that what Jesus did was he came and he began that journey to Jerusalem that ended up in his crucifixion because he was dying for my sin. And I know he did that for me. And Father, today I put my faith in Jesus' death, and not only his death, but his burial, prove that he really did die, but then his resurrection that where he proved that he could forgive sin and give eternal life. God, I put my faith in all of that, not what I do, but in what Jesus has done for me. And by faith today, because of all that, this is what I choose. I choose to make Jesus the Lord of my life. That's what it means, the Lord. Saying this, Jesus, you're more important than anything in my life, more important than anything that I have. And God, what I choose today is I choose to follow you I want you to control me and, and know this, God, because I know you love me as you love this rich young man. 
I know that if I follow you, you'll take me to the right places. You'll show me the right things to do, Lord. And ultimately, I know that if I follow you, eternal life is mine. The question is, what you're going to choose? Here's my prayer during this invitation time. There will be some of you that have never chosen to follow Jesus, that today will be that day. You'll say over all the immediate gratification of the moment, not even really knowing what the future holds, but you'll say, I know this, that if I trust my life to Jesus, it's going to be okay, that you'll come and place your faith in him, confess your sins, receive Jesus, do that by faith today. I hope you'll do that. I'll be here. Brother Jacob, I think he's going to be here. If he got all the tech stuff down in the back solved, he's going to come here this morning. But we'll be here to share with you what it means to follow Jesus. We won't rush into anything. We'll answer every question we can for you. But we want to help you come and give your life to this one who died for you. So if you haven't decided to follow Jesus, you come this morning. But let me say this to many in the room, because I know many in the room are going to look back at me and say, Brother Scott, I, I made that decision long ago. I say amen to what you said, because I know that's been my experience. But let's be honest, in the moment, you're not choosing to follow Jesus fully as you should. In the moment, here's what you're doing. In the moment, you're letting some immediate gratification get in the way of you following Jesus with your life completely as you should. And here's what I think some of, some of our believers need to do today. You need to come to this altar and you need to kneel and you need to say, God, forgive me for in the moment choosing this immediate gratification and God, I'm gonna choose to follow you with this area of my life, whatever it is. Maybe you've said, I'm gonna follow Jesus, but Jesus, don't tell me what to do with my money. Maybe today you need to come and say, Lord, it's yours. Show me what to do with it. God, my free time, I've not been asking you, God, what you do? My, my service, Lord, I haven't been asking you. I, I want to follow you, but I don't have time to serve you. Maybe you need to come and say, God, I surrender my service to you and say, Lord, I'm ready to follow you and put away the immediate gratification and say, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. I believe in a way we face this decision every day. Are we going to follow Jesus? And here's my hope. Today you'll say, I follow Jesus. His invitation is come, follow me. Will you come and follow Jesus today? Bow with me. Father, we come to this time of invitation. And thank you, Lord, that you have given us that invitation to follow you. And knowing, God, when we follow you, we follow you into, Lord, eternal life. And I pray, Father, that we will choose you today above anything that this earth has to offer. I know some need to choose you for the very first time. Others need to come. And in the moment with a particular area of their life, they need to say, I choose Jesus but Father, whatever the decision is this morning, I pray we'll see many who'll come today and follow you. Pour your spirit down now, I pray in these moments. I pray that we're receptive to your speaking, and I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.